Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Good morning. Let me add my welcome to you and glad you are here today. Uh, excited about today. Excited the fact that we get to uh, launch a new series. In the next uh, four to five weeks, we are going to be in the book of Daniel. And so now when you think of Daniel, what do you think of? Daniel and Lions Den, right? You guys remember the song when you were growing up? Garrett, you remember it? Daniel, 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 Daniel in the lie, 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 lie. Everybody remember that? Okay. It was only, maybe that was a Church of Christ thing. Yeah, that was a Church of Christ thing. All right. So, all right. I, was, I put myself out there. I was very vulnerable, but you guys didn't go with it. So we're just going to stop. So we remember uh, Daniel in Lion's Den, right? Okay. Enough on that. Uh, what else do you remember about Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We remember those, those rich Bible stories, those flannel board stories that we, we grew up on, right? Some of you, when you think of Daniel, you think of like these, uh, these detailed prophecies and visions. And, and if you've ever read through Daniel, there are some pretty bizarre visions and prophecies and dreams in the book of Daniel. But the book of Daniel, in the next few weeks, as we hope you will experience it, is this. It is a story, it is a story of how to live and survive and, dare we say, thrive in a culture that is moving farther and farther away from God, okay? That's how we hope you experience it over the next few weeks. No doubt, we are continuing currently to live in a culture that is unpredictable, that is volatile, and is somewhat confusing, more and more every day, isn't it? I mean, Christian values continue to be eroded daily. Many of us are very frustrated. Many of us sometimes are fearful of what is happening. Uh, many of you, you think every day you wake up, what's going to happen next? You know, what, what's going to happen today? You know, is there going to be another mass shooting, right? I mean, they discovered one in Chicago. They, they, they uh, stopped one in Chicago this last week. I think they stopped another one before the All-Star uh, game in Denver, Colorado. What's going to happen next? Is there going to be more racial instability, right? Is, is there going to be, I mean, sex trafficking is, is, is way out of control. I mean, there's so many things that are just going wrong with our current culture. And so how do we maintain faith in this post-Christian culture, it seems? So let's take a few seconds and let's see what some people said as far as how they determined and how they described our current culture. Take a look at the screens. Well, when I was a kid, we just disappeared all day long, and Mom never really worried about anything except when they, we were going to be home for dinner. You, know, you could take off and go to the park or play on the street or ride your bike around, and now, you know, you let your kid go out in the front yard alone, you can get in trouble. I really love kids and watching how they're growing up. Um, not like parents are doing a bad job raising them, but as in regards to what they're being exposed to at a certain young age can be problematic. And I do believe that the world is in, uh, I would say, complete uh, turmoil and chaos right now. We're dealing with a lot of stuff, racism, poverty-stricken areas. How people are treating immigrants, how people are treating those of Islamic faith. Whenever you go to YouTube, you go to any blogger sites, 
see like a lot of nasty things come up. Sex trafficking and like drugs and all that kind of stuff. You know, broken families or, you know, unwanted children is, is a particular concern of mine. ISIS is horrible, it's terrible. We'll find a way to overcome that, but once you cut off the head of one snake, there's another one waiting to pop out again. The media, I feel like, um, perpetuates uh, perversion. Um, it takes everything out of God's divine order. One of the biggest things is the media. Uh, it seems to spin it whatever way is, is good for their their views and not actually what is truth and what is, what is good for the country and what is good for everybody. Most people who vote, don't know what they're voting for. They're like, yeah, we're Republican, or yeah, we're Dem you know, we're Democrats. You don't know what you're voting for. It's so violent now throughout uh, all communities, not just one anymore. So this last week, I was listening to my Michael Bublé channel on Pandora, and there was a song that came up called "Anything Goes." Anybody know who wrote that song? I know you're laughing because I listen to Michael Bublé, aren't you? Yeah. Well, anyway, and you know and who wrote that? Frank Sinatra in 1956. And these are the lyrics. The lyrics were just, they were so fitting, all right? It said, in olden days, when a glimpse of a stocking was looked on as something shocking, now heaven knows, anything goes. Good authors, too, who once knew better words, now only use four-letter words writing prose, anything goes. The world has gone mad today, and good's gone bad today, and black is white today, the day's night today, and most guys today that women prize today are just silly gigolos. Now, I'm not saying that Frankie was uh, prophetic or anything like that, but he kind of has it right, doesn't he? I mean, our world just seems to be so upside down from, from what we think it should be, doesn't it? So, we're going to look today in the book of Daniel. We're going to be hanging out in chapter 1. So if you have your copy of Scripture, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. And if you do not have your copy, you can follow along on the screens with us. So in Daniel 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, to, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So King Jehoiakim was the 19th king after King David. And at some point in time, I think it was after King Solomon, the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms. And the southernmost kingdom was considered Judah. And so King Jehoiakim had been the king of Judah for the last several years. And he had continued to allow the people of Israel to move farther and farther and farther away from God. And God had continued to warn them over and over regarding their disobedience, sending to them many prophets at times. Jeremiah was one of them in Jeremiah chapter 29. But he continued not to listen. And the people of Israel continued to be disobedient. And so one day, God delivered on his promise, and he delivered them into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now, two things here before we go on. Babylon. We need to, we need to understand what Babylon is here. You know, so, so Babylon here is very symbolic. Babylon here refers to a specific kingdom. In Daniel, we're talking about a specific place. And it was actually located, which is now modern-day Iraq, which is about, and it was about 60 miles south of Baghdad. But in the Bible... Babylon also represents any secular kingdom 
that opposes God. Any secular kingdom that opposed the things of God. For example, in the New Testament, the early Christians referred to, referred to, the, to as, for Rome as Babylon. So Babylon was a code for Rome. In the book of Revelation, the apostle Paul uses Babylon as a name for the whole world in opposition to Jesus. So in other words, Babylon in the Bible, with the exception of the, here in Daniel, where it was a specific place, is a term for the secular world powers that oppose God. So any type of kingdom or nation that opposes God, okay? Any kingdom that is built in opposition to God, any kingdom or nation that is independent of God, any kingdom or nation where man is in charge and man is the center. And the enemy, Satan, has always used secular government, secular media, secular business, secular economy to wage war against the gospel and the things of God. The point being is this, as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, do we subscribe to the kingdom of Jesus or do we subscribe to the world? That's our question. And we're going to get on that in just a moment. The second thing that we need to see here before we really even move on is in the first two verses here. I do not think it is ironic that God gives us a picture right up front of what discipline looks like because of disobedience. I mean, yeah, we like to think of God as, as loving and forgiving, and he is. God loves and God forgives, but the word of God also says God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. And as a nation, he will only warn us as many times as he can before eventually the hammer will come down. And as an individual, listen, as an individual, if you are a Christ follower and you are continuing to live in disobedience, this is a warning. This is a warning. God loves you. God cares for you, but God will discipline. God will discipline. And it is time for many of us, some of us, to get serious about our relationship with God. Continuing on in verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned, assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were, from, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. So Daniel and his three friends, they were lucky enough to be chosen from Judah, right? Why? Because they met the king's requirements. I mean, they were young, they were handsome, they were smart, they came from wealthy families. They were kind of the best of the best, you might say. They believed that Daniel would have been 15 years old at the time that this took place in his life. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the NIV version says he was the chief of his court officials. Other versions, as you read, says that he was the chief of the eunuchs, which probably meant that Daniel and his friends would have probably been made eunuchs as well. 
Each of them were then given a name change. All of them had Hebrew names that, that pointed directly to God, that pointed and gave glory to God. And they were given name changes to give names that would speak glory to foreign gods or false gods. Daniel meant God is my judge. He was given the name Belshazzar, which means Baal protected the king. Hananiah, God is gracious. He was given the name Shadrach, which means under the command of a coup, which is the moon god. Mishael, none is like God, is what his name meant. It was given the name Meshach, which means there is none like a coup. Azariah, God has helped me. Abednego, the servant of Nebo, which is the Babylonian god of wisdom. Side note, I just think it's kind of interesting that we remember Daniel for his Hebrew name. But as three friends, we remember the names that were given to them by the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But think about this for just a moment. Think about the world of these 14 and 15-year-old boys. What just happened to them? I mean, think about when you were 14 and 15 years old. Think about if you have have a freshman in high school right now. Think about what their world now looks like. They watched as their homeland was invaded, Their families were either killed or imprisoned, probably never to be seen again. Imagine never seeing your 15-year-old child again. Their temple was desecrated. The God they loved, the the only temple they knew was desecrated, was torn away. Their manhood was literally taken away. And their names were changed to give honor and praise to foreign gods. Do you feel the heaviness there? I mean, we think it's hard for us to live our Christian life in our Babylonia, right? But their world had been turned upside down. Continuing in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of, what, of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And insert Daniel fast or whatever you want to insert here. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine and, were to, and, and they, what they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So God blessed Daniel and his friends for being obedient, for being faithful. And in verse 18, it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And they all lived happily ever after. Right? Right? So listen, here's what we need to take from Daniel's story today. The message that Daniel trusted God 
He trusted God to the point that he was able to live faithful to God, even in the midst of a culture he was a prisoner of. He, he trusted that God was in control, even in the midst of a situation that he was a prisoner of. I mean, this, this could have played out in so many different ways on Daniel's end. But he trusted God, and God blessed him in the midst of a situation. Not only did Daniel earn favor of the guard, but Daniel also earned favor of the king, did he not? And then the king integrated him into his kingdom in that culture. But because of Daniel's trust that God was in control, he continued to live faithful to his God. And here's how we know. The proof was how he lived. The proof was how he lived. He lived different. He lived differently. In the midst of Babylon, he lived differently. So, you want to make a difference in our Babylon? You want to make a difference in our culture? We have to be different. We have to be different. And so the question is this. Can people tell you apart? In other words, do people see you and think, there's something different about him. There's something different about him. And I'm not talking like weird different, okay? I'm not talking about weird. I'm just talking about, are you different? Are you different than the culture around you? What is our proverbial food and wine that we need to refrain from as so not to defile ourselves amongst our culture? See, Daniel used that to his advantage. He used that to his advantage. And so... For the next few minutes, let's talk about that. So how are we to live different in our Babylon? How are we to live different in our culture? First is this, with different values. With different values. 1 John 2.16 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from where? The world. The New Living Translation of that same verse says, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Those are not from the Father. Those are from the world. In other words, everything that the world offers is pleasure. It's a craving for the things of this world. It's a craving for, for achievements. It's a, cra it's, a, it's a craving for possessions. Those are not from God. Those are not the things that we should value as Christ followers. Those are from the world. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor of Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and author of a book called The Gospel. He indicated, and, and this is so interesting, he indicated there was a blog I read of his just this last week, and he indicated there's three areas in our life that we have to value differently as Christ followers. He said we should value money, power, and sex differently than the world. Money, we just spent four weeks talking about that, right? I mean, Pastor Tony talked about that. Uh, he said more is less. Stress is bad, you know, giving is good, and tomorrow matters, right? The, the fact is that the world around us, the world around us approaches money from the standpoint of acquisition. God, get as much as I can and keep as much as I can. Oh, sure, I might give a little bit here and there just to make myself feel good, but the reality of it is what's mine is mine and what yours can be mine if I want to take it, right? For the Christ follower, we have to live differently, when it comes to money. We have to value money differently. Yes, we need money to live. That is not a lie. But we have to recognize that everything we have has been entrusted to us by God the Father, first and foremost, for the advancement of his kingdom. For the advancement of his kingdom. 
Pastor Greer stated it this way. He says, in today's secular culture, do you live sufficiently and give extravagantly? Or do you give sufficiently and live extravagantly? Which is it for you? Power. Power. The world looks as power as something that we use to win no matter what right? No matter what the cost, whatever that power might be, maybe it's your, maybe it's your good looks, maybe, maybe it's your money, maybe it's your talents, maybe it's your status at work, maybe it's your status in society, maybe it's the connections you have out there. But, but it, we use it as an order to gain, to gain control. Uh, pastor and author John Piper oddly wrote about these same three things in 2015, and he asked the question, do we use our status for self-exalting? to gain control over people, to exploit people, because that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus, is it? See, Jesus, on the other hand, he used his power to serve. He used his power to lift others up. And so do we look at our positions that we have in life, the positions we've been given in life as a privilege to serve others and to look for opportunities to stand in the gap for others? Because that's what Daniel did. He used what was given to him to serve the king, a king who had totally destroyed his world around him, hadn't he? And sex. And I know I have to get personal here. Why? Because this is something that destroys cultures from the very inside out, from the very beginning of time. Go all the way back, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at, look at the Roman Empire. Look at today's culture. Sex is viewed as an act in our culture. It is an act for, for something that makes me feel good. We have taken it so far out of biblical context, right? With, with one-night stands, with pornography, with, with prostitution. I could go on and on and on. That is not God's purpose. That is not his design when it comes to that. It is a gift according to his design to be experienced in the covenant of a marriage a lifelong marriage between a husband and a wife. And we have taken that so far out of context. And we have to value that differently as a Christ follower. I'm sorry if that sounds offensive, but guess what? That's what God's word teaches. And God's word sometimes can be offensive. I hope so, because sometimes I need to be offended by God's word so that I can make changes and view things differently in my life. So we have to live differently with different values. We also have to live differently by not conforming to culture. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. For those of us who are currently in a career do we approach our career with the idea of what fulfills me the most? Do I approach my career as, as how can I be the most successful? How can I move up the ladder as quick as I possibly can? And listen, there's nothing wrong with success, and there's nothing wrong with moving up the ladder. And that's not what I'm saying. But do you approach your career as that, but, but do you approach it with saying, is this what God wants for me in my life? Am I serving where God wants me to serve? Am I working where God wants me to serve? There's a difference when it's about me versus about what God has for me. There's a difference. 
parents do we teach our kids to pursue the future that God has in store for them? See, it's, it's hard for us as parents. We all fall in this trap of we have this ideal list of what our family is supposed to look like, right? I mean, our family is supposed to look like this. We're, we're supposed to, we have to have like 2.1 kids. They grow up, they go to college, they get married. They have, they have 2.1 kids themselves. They give us 3.5 grandkids. And, 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 and this is the perfect life. And this is the thing that we put in our minds. Is this what it's supposed to look like? And then when it doesn't happen that way, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Do we as parents put as much emphasis on school, uh, as much, do we as parents put so much emphasis on school, grades, and activities, and those themselves are not bad, but do those things become their God? Do those things become their God? Or do the things of Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus is at the forefront of what's important. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Retired people out there, I'm trying to offend everyone. <laughs> Re retired people out there, finally you have enough money, you can do what you want, anything you want, you can get up whenever you want, you can do whatever you want, right? I mean, you've worked hard. You have worked hard and you deserve it, right? That's what the pattern of the world says. The pattern of the world says, guess what? You worked hard and you did. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But maybe consider this. How can I use this chapter of my life where I'm financially freed up to invest more in the kingdom? How am I freed up to serve? Maybe just in a new capacity that I could not serve the way I want to, the way I, I could when I had a 40-hour-a-week job? Is, is there, this is a new stage of my life. How maybe I can invest in one or two people that I couldn't do, I didn't have the time to do before. A new believer or someone who's struggling or volunteer my time somewhere and continue to invest in tomorrow by investing in lives. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but let God transform you. Let God transform you. So how are we to live different? With different values, by not conforming. But why? Why are we to live different? Quickly, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul here is writing to the church of Ephesus regarding the way they were to live in their Babylon, in their ungodly culture. Ephesus at the time was a leading commercial and, and, and cultural city in the Roman Empire. As well, it was one of the leading cities when it came to sexual immorality and depravity. There were many temples that were built in Ephesus, many different false gods, and with them there were many temple prostitutes. And many of the believers that Paul was talking to had grown up and had known that life prior to becoming a Christ follower. And so what Paul is doing is he's reminding them as to why they are to live differently. In verse 17 of chapter 4, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They, meaning the lost people, the unbelievers, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality as, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you have learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught in him 
in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So why are we to live differently? Because God commands us to. <laughs> Plain and simple. God commands us to. He says in verse 10, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. And the reason his verbiage is there is because, listen, Paul's saying, I'm telling you this, but this comes from God, not from me. This is a command from God. This isn't my command. This comes from the Lord. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. When he's talking about the Gentiles, he's talking about all lost people, not a race of people. He's saying, listen, this is how they live. God says no. God says you can't live that way. And if you think about it, all throughout history, God has set his people apart. I mean, all the way back into the Old Testament, I mean, he gave the, the Israelites over 600 laws of how to live differently, right? I mean, all throughout history, he has set his people apart to be different, to be different. Why? To show people who God was. The second, why, or the second reason why is because, and I'm actually going to combine two, because we know the power of Christ and because we are new in Christ. All right? That's why. In verse 20 and uh, 20 through uh, 24, it says, That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance to the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, listen, we know how you grew up. We know what you were taught. But when you heard about Jesus... You didn't just learn about Jesus. You experienced Jesus. Salvation isn't just something you learn about. Yeah, you can learn about it, but salvation is something you experience. And when you experience it, your life is changed forever. He says in verse 22, you were taught in regard with your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, but, he made a, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, newness. When we become a Christ follower, we are given a new identity. We have a new person in us. And the old way of life, it's gone. But because of Jesus, because of our experience of salvation, because of our experience, because of who Jesus is, we therefore have an opportunity to be made new, completely different. And he's saying, listen, put off refers to your old ways. You can't live that way anymore. You're not supposed to live that way anymore. We should strive to allow God to change us, to set us apart so that the world sees that we are different. And not just different to be different, okay? Not just talking about that. I mean, I could change my hair pink. That's different, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Not just different to be different, but allowing the Spirit of God to work in you, to change you, to view things and value things differently as a Christ follower should according to the word of God in order to bring forth his kingdom. Ultimately, that's how Daniel lived. That's how Daniel lived different. And so in the next few weeks, we're going to look at how he continued to live and he continued to survive in Babylon through his faith, with hope, with humility, and with wisdom. That's what we're going to look at. All while being different. All while being different in a culture that was far from God.
Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and as the band begins to uh, come up, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Waymaker. Waymaker, powerful song. And there are some of us today that are here that maybe you're just struggling. (laughs) You're just struggling surviving in this Babylon, this culture. Maybe today you're angry about something that you're struggling with because of the things around us. Maybe you have anger because of the political perspective that we have. Maybe you're just frustrated with that. And can I remind you today that God is bigger than any political party? God is bigger than that. Maybe today you are struggling in in this culture because of fear as Pastor Tony even opened us up with because of the, a pandemic and the rise and the fall and the rise and the fall and what seems to be a, a, something that just never seems to end. And, and we just can sometimes sit back and if we just think and think and think, we can just be overcome with so much anxiety and fear. Can I tell you today that God is bigger than any sickness and disease? Maybe today you're struggling with relationship. Maybe you're, you're just a casualty Here's the casualty of this culture, of sin in this world. And can I tell you that God loves you and he created you and he wants relationship with you? And there are theirs today here, I'm sure, or in the sound of my voice that just have never said yes to Jesus. This God that you speak about, I'm, I'm struggling with it. I don't understand it. And let me just tell you this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son for you. And you don't have to understand all the ins and outs of everything that happened. But what you do have to understand is this, that you can't do life on your own anymore. That there has to come a point in your life when you surrender your life and you say yes to Jesus. And it's as simple as just saying, God, today, I can't do it anymore on my own. I need you. And Father God, we just say thank you for who you are. And we say, thank you, Father God, for everything that you do in our lives. We thank you, God, that you are bigger than any issue, any problem, any any concern, any anxiety in our life. And that doesn't always make it easy, God. But we know, Father God, that we can at least set at your feet and we can can continue to give you our hurts and our hang-ups and our needs. And we know, Father God, that you love us. We know that you love us. Father God, would you just speak to us now as we have an opportunity to worship you again. And again, we say thank you for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.